Welcome to the Business of Being Healthy, where we are passionate about treating our health as good as we treat our wealth. Shelly Bryan here, and I am obsessed with sharing real-life experiences and wisdom to help save you time, heartache, and money as you continue to grow personally and professionally. Twice a week, we push aside that BS to take massive intentional action, and I promise by tuning in, you will receive the straightforward talk you've been waiting for, filled with actionable steps that will inspire you to achieve the health and wealth you desire while you are building your empire. Welcome back to another show here. And today's episode is one that I have literally been so excited for because the gal that is on has done things that I feel like she doesn't even realize how awesome she is or how rad she is. And I absolutely love just the mindset that she had the first time that we ever had lunch together. She just really struck me as someone that I could see Reese, my daughter coming into and the relationships and the way that she tackles challenges and failures and just opportunities, I don't think is talked about enough. So I am very excited to have Taylor Archer on the show today, who Taylor and I met at the Foundress and um, quickly became a huge fan of not only her jewelry line, but like I said, all of her mindset and the way that she approaches her business. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur that just has like this passion, this passion that you can't find everywhere. And we're going to dive into your background and a lot of good juicy stuff today. So Taylor, welcome. And thank you for joining. Yay, Shelly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so excited for today. Yes, this is going to be a good one. Okay. So let's dive in here because I love kind of like your backstory and just how you were on the other end of the country and then how you came back and and all of that. So I'd love for you to just share a little bit of kind of where your whole story started and, and like your store at ASU that you launched before social media was really even a thing. Totally. Yeah. So I always love to start with like me at six years old and then me jumped when I was 18 years old because I think it paints a really good picture of like, there's some people that are just born and bred entrepreneurs. And like, I truly think I am one of those. Like when I was six years old, my dad loves to tell this story of us being on our like annual family trip to Mexico and kids would run around selling these little gums are called chiclets. And I begged my dad the entire trip. I was like, please buy me an entire box of chiclets. And he was probably just like, yeah, this kid just wants all this gum. Like she doesn't need it, whatever. So the last day we're there, he buys me a whole box of gum and I start running out the door of the gas station. He's like, where do you think you're going? Like, I'm going to sell the gum. I want to make my own money. I'm going to go sell the gum. He was like, okay, we know what this kid's going to do with their life kind of thing. So I literally had 9 million business ideas from through middle school and high school and tried to start a nonprofit when I was 14 and all this stuff. It was always just such a big ideas person. And my parents really gave me the platform and the belief in me that like, you can literally do anything and like failure is going to be a part of it and really put your mind to it and, you know, come up with business plans and just try everything. So the first real business that I launched was when I was a summer going into my sophomore year of college. Um, I was going to ASU at the time studying metalworking And my sister and I opened a clothing store on Arizona State University's campus called Shop Olive U. It's O-L-I-V-E-Y-O-U. And it was a blast. I kind of had rose-colored glasses on. She's a little bit older than me, so she definitely handled more of the taxes and employee management. And I was like, got to do the buying and got to try to use Instagram, which was still very new at the time, and email marketing and all this stuff that like really wasn't available to small businesses at the time. And I remember us having to hire a web developer to actually build a website because there wasn't a Shopify or a Wix or anything like that at the time. And I fell in love with the brand creation, the content creation, the finding ways to not only reach the girls on ASU's campus, but reaching people in New Jersey or California or Florida or wherever it was, it was a really interesting challenge for me and um, still really got to flex my creative brain. And I just 
loved it. So three years in, I had just graduated. My sister um, already had my first nephew, but was looking to grow her family. And so we decided not to resign our lease. And we went our separate ways and she now owns a spray tan business. And I started a digital marketing agency. Um, at the time it was like a year into the agency, my then boyfriend, now husband, and I moved to DC after six months of dating. And that's where it really kind of grew. I grew it to, I think at the biggest, we had 32 clients. Um, I worked with like Dr. Nassif from botched. I helped him launch his direct to consumer skincare line. I worked with Fidelity Denim, which is a massive wholesale denim company that sold it like Macy's and Nordstrom. I worked with Jenny Craig. I worked with a lot of really cool people that I was able to one kind of learn and make a lot of mistakes and um, figure out what was working for these big brands and then also apply them to my smaller, small biz, you know, clients as well. And then we had that for gosh, almost eight, nine years. And I eventually turned to my husband one day and I was like, I'm spending my entire life making other small businesses dreams come true. I want to do something for myself. And jewelry was just that natural progression. I've been making jewelry forever just for myself and for friends. And so from the time we said, screw it, I'm going to do it to like when it actually launched was literally two weeks. Like the whole brand, the whole website, all the photos. We had a launch party in all two weeks because I just, I get impatient and I can't wait. <laughs> I love it. I think the impatience definitely came out in all of that story. But there's a few yes. things that I think are so good, just so good. And I want to actually bring it back to kind of the beginning because I've heard this actually a very, a little bit similar. And I, I want to ask you if it's kind of the same, but you know, Sarah Blakely with, with Spanx, her, Thanks. she would always say she would come home and her dad was like, how did you fail today? Like yeah. failure was an okay thing to do. It was like a safe place. It wasn't for always sure. just the, um, proud moments for like the, the trophies and the, all the good stuff. It's also like the, the failure side. And so I want to kind of come back to the beginning of everything that you just shared and just talk about that because you have two other siblings, right? Two other siblings. Yeah. I've got a twin three. brother and an older sister. Okay. So, you know, there's three, even as a twin, three different personalities, you know, how was that kind of at home to where you felt like you could thrive and do all of these, what people might think are crazy things, but just very entrepreneurial go things. Totally. So my parents, the best and biggest blessing I think they gave us, especially um, as like school age kids was I am not naturally gifted when it comes to school, but I work really hard. So that's how I got good grades. But like my twin brother is one of those people that could like literally look at a book for two seconds and know everything on the page and memorize it for years where I'm like sitting there rewriting notes and studying for hours. But my mom's like, if I, both my parents actually, if we saw you actually try and really study and you failed the test, we're still proud of you. Mm -hmm. Like you really put in the effort and like, okay, like there's other things that you're good at and test taking is not one of them, but like you actually tried, like you put your blood, sweat and tears. And if they saw me visibly upset because I got a bad grade on a test, she's like, you're crying because you care. Like we're not, you're not going to get grounded. Like you've got other things we can do to make up this grade. Like there's nothing. If you really tried, there is no reason why we have to be mad. And so that gave me a lot of permission to fail. Like and I knew if I knew in my heart, if something didn't work out, but I gave it my all, then there's no reason why I can't be, why I should be mad at myself. Like you take it as a learning lesson, you take it as an L. And I always tell myself, like, I can feel this way, have my little pity party right now. But like, I am, my mom calls me the queen of rejection because the amount of jobs I've gotten rejected for sobbing at my parents, you know, like dining room table. And I'm mad for like 30 minutes and then 30 minutes after that, I'm like hustling, trying to apply for 9,000 new jobs. And so it was this thing where the failure was not seen as a disappointment. It wasn't seen as something that was supposed to eat you alive. It's like, okay, be upset, but you worked as hard as you could. Now what? And mm. so I think growing up with that kind of household mentality was huge. And also my parents have a terrific story all in of their own, but they came from nothing. Like my food stamps and government housing and you name it. My parents have gone through it and built this 
bananas, incredible life for themselves. And they didn't have the opportunity to take some risks that I've been able to take because of their financial situation, whatever it may be. And so them just being like, we will, we have your back. Like if you are trying and something fails, like you will never be without, you will never. So like do it because we weren't able to. And that was, you know, something that they preached to us our entire life that, you know, do it because you love it, not because you have to. So. I love that. And, you know, I mean, there's so much even in that because I feel like as an entrepreneur, it's really those who can last through the most failures are the ones that succeed. And so you had the support system, but now, right. It's, it's you and your husband, you guys are out, you're doing your thing, you're growing your own thing. And I'm sure it hasn't been all rainbows and unicorns, um, (laughs) lots of probably pretty expensive lessons, but how, or, or I guess what is kind of that one thing that you kind of keep falling back to? Is it removing any fear? Is it making sure that you're safe? Is it taking and going, okay, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Because I feel like, you know, so many business owners, even career driven, like even if you're an entrepreneur in an organization, the fear of like going for more, it's the the failure behind it. And so it's like, eh, I'll stay here. And yeah. what I heard from you a little bit was removing kind of like, what's the worst that can happen? Like yeah. calling it out. Have you, what, what has been really good for you as you've grown now, these two businesses um, that you've mentioned. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's definitely going there. I think that when I get really scared or really nervous, the first thing, when I'm making a big decision, the first thing I think of is like, what's the worst that can happen? And it always ends with, we lose the house, but I still have my husband. Like that is like, I'm like worst case scenario. You can never be homeless. You'll still have the love of your life. Like life will be fine. And sometimes it helps me navigate difficult situations too, saying like, okay, these are the couple paths that we could go down, but also like, what does success look like for that too? You know, sometimes I feel like people only go to like, what is the darkest, scariest, craziest thing that could happen? I lose my house and my husband leaves me versus like, oh my God, what if this actually works? And Mm -hmm. so I think it's exploring both of those. And then in the back of my mind, especially this product-based business has really, really stretched me because it is so expensive, so expensive to own a product-based business. Like literally it's like, cool, you did $50,000 last month. And you're like, cool, where did all my money go? Because it's just, it's bananas. And so you get really scared to make financial decisions. I think more so than when I was in the service-based business. And at the end of the day, I always ask myself, what does the business need? Because if I'm making a decision based on what the business needs, whether it's financial, whether it's a trip, whether it's a collaboration, whatever, and it aligns, then like that is that is my answer. And that needs to be my, be my North star and try to navigate it from there. I really love that. And, you know, it's like asking those questions and that's where I can hear a lot of just your business maturity. Obviously it started at six years old, but just the fact that you, <laughs> you, see challenges through different lenses, right? And I think that is a skill that can be strengthened over time. And I loved hearing, obviously, it's kind of like the the what if, but it's also like the what if negative, but the what if good, what if success is there? What would that look like for you? And I love hearing that you're doing that. Now, I want to go and talk about the company in D.C., Cause first you were yes. in Arizona, you guys were like, cool, let's go move over to DC. What was it in DC that took you over there? So my husband, we met when he was getting his master's at ASU. He's from Seattle originally, but had lived in DC for about 10 years prior to getting his master's. He got his undergrad there and then was a special ed teacher there and then moved to Arizona to get his master in MBA. And, uh, then he got a job. He got the job offer like four months into us dating. And my mom jokingly said, Drew, it was nice knowing you. And I was like, I think I want to go with him. And they were like, yep, do it, go for it. And so we moved to DC. We celebrated our seventh month anniversary on the road. And I went there with no job and, um, um, well, no clients in DC. I had two like very small clients in Phoenix. One of them I had, I had three here. One was a bigger client of mine that I wasn't able to take with me because I needed to be in Phoenix for. So I was working with two dental office in Gilbert were the only two clients that I had when I moved to DC. 
and, um, was able to grow my business there. It was like, I tell my husband all the time. I was like, it was the last place I ever thought I would be, but it was the city I never knew I needed. Like I grew, we were only there for two years and I grew so much in that time that we were there. Well, what, like, what was it that had you grow while you were there? Like, what was it about moving there? Because I am a huge believer. I just had this conversation with someone yesterday is even like getting out of your office, like what, like get, go do some, I mentioned going to have a glass of wine, sit at the bar by yourself with a pad of paper and like go. So what was it that spurred so much growth in DC for you? I think it was for the first time being away from family and being away from what I was comfortable with. I grew up in Scottsdale. I spent my literally entire life up until we moved to DC here. And it was the first time in my life where I really had to put myself out there in order to gain a community, right? Like I was leaving all of my friends, all of my family, everybody that I knew here. So I had to put myself out there and two, it wasn't like this word of mouth referral. Oh yeah, I've got a girl that can do social. Yeah. I know a girl that does SEO or website building, whatever. Like I didn't have that there. And so I tell people all the time, whenever I meet with people who are wanting to get into the digital marketing space or own a digital marketing agency, the best thing I did for myself was just apply for part-time internship or part-time jobs on LinkedIn that were social media focused, digital marketing focused. And I applied for a ton of them. And one of my, I feel like I'm, I'm really good at sales. I was like, once I can get in front of somebody, I can sell them. And so I literally built a book of 10 clients in the first like two months that we were there just by doing that. And you just have to get scrappy and resourceful. Like I couldn't, I was sending, you know, cold emails, but they weren't really working. And it's not like I felt comfortable enough to go into a, you know, bookstore and be like, hi, your social media sucks. My t- my name's Taylor. Let me help you. And um, so getting really resourceful and scrappy with how to b- build this book of business. And um, then, you know, things just kind of started flowing from there. And I built a really strong network and made some amazing girlfriends um, out there and was just not afraid to not afraid of rejection and not afraid to put myself out there. Okay. So one thing that I loved hearing on that, because I think that people, and I'm just throwing this out there. All right. So this is just Shelly's idea is when, when you're become an entrepreneur, right. And you, you accept that identity of entrepreneur, the feeling is uh failure. If you have to go get a job again. Right. Yeah. And I love how you just changed kind of that perspective. Never did I ever hear about someone being like, I'm just going to go apply. I have my own business, but I'm going to go apply for all these part-time positions to get the experience. Yeah. Holy cow. Did your identity ever kind of get in the way of that? Or did you have to work through anything to just be like, screw it, I'm going to go do it? Or did you just go? No, I don't think so. And really, like when I got in front of them, I pitched them as like, I'm, I'm starting this digital marketing agency here are all the benefits of why it's more beneficial to have somebody like me versus actually hiring a part-time fresh out of college, you know, or what in college person doing it. And I really sold my skill set. I knew how to sell um, just from like having the boutique and knowing like the cost of having actual employees. And like, I'm a contractor, you don't have to provide me X, Y, and Z, you know, and I have so much more experience than the person that you're looking at on paper. And so why not let me bring you on as a client instead of having this employee employer relationship? Because at the end of the day, like you're a small business owner, you don't have time to be managing somebody else. Like you Mm -hmm. don't want to be paying more in taxes than you need to be. So like there are a million reasons why you should choose me over, you know, having somebody in house that you have to micromanage and train and teach and do X, Y, and Z with. Um, and also it was kind of nice being in DC because the level of pay that they were expecting for a position like that was like what my clients in Phoenix were paying me. Um, and so I tell the story all the time, like the very first client I ever picked up, it was exactly that I found him on LinkedIn. They were hiring a part-time social media girl person. And, um, I applied, I met with them and he was like, perfect. You have the job, you know, expectations around 10 hours a week. Uh, we'll pay you $3,600 a month. And that was more than I ever made in Phoenix for 10 hour part-time work, 10 hours a week. And I was like, that'll work. <laughs> like running out of there as fast as I could. So they couldn't change his mind. Um, but yeah, pitching my skill set. And also, I, again, I think living in DC where the expectation of 
you know, how much you pay people is just the cost of living is so much more. And so for me, it was a little bit of a shell shock, but also, um, finding ways to, to pitch myself so that it seemed, you know, uh, comfortable or even for both of us. And what I loved there, and I, I literally, I remember I've done some posts on this and I talk about this cause I love sales too. And you're always, we're always selling everything. You're always. picking a restaurant yes. with your friends. You're like negotiating with your children. You're, you're, it's, you're leading your team. You're selling, you're truly selling. And what I love is you flipped it. That's the thing that I, I just, it wasn't all about like Taylor. I mean, I'm sure you're, you're sh sharing your accolades and, and what you can do, but you flipped it. What's beneficial yeah. to you is you don't have employee tax, you know, payroll. You don't have to manage me. I'm contract. Like you don't have to do anything. Like that is such an important aspect speaking business to business. Right. That is so neat. I love that. Now I know that you had a really with, I think it might've been the denim company, a really yeah. interesting kind of experience. If I'm remembering correctly, yes. would yes. you share a little bit about this? Because here's the thing is this, this episode, I already feel like I can hear obviously your passion in everything that you're doing, but what I love is just like, there's always a way. Like what I'm hearing, yeah. like consistently from you and I love it is like, there's always a way you want to do it, get scrappy. You want to like keep going forward and not worry about failure. You're, you still think about it, but you have like an internal dialogue to work through it instead of letting it stop your action. You are about that massive action. So I, I remember this story and I would love for you to share a little bit more yeah. on the, on the debt. I believe it's the denim company. Is that right? It was. Yeah. Well, actually it was a, um, it was like a sister company of the denim company. It was, I like women's shapewear line Okay. and, but kind of owned by the same people, but yeah, we were spending, this is, um, I was maybe four years into my digital marketing agency life. And I was working for this like, um, women's shapewear line and we were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on ads every year. And I was running the Facebook ads. I was running Facebook, Instagram ads, and I was doing their social. But there was another internal team that they had that was doing the website and doing other email marketing and things like that. I was, we were reporting like crazy amounts of ROI. We we're like, okay, cool. We're spending $10,000 a month on these Facebook and Instagram ads. And we're getting hundred, 150, sometimes $200,000 a month in sales. Like this is wild. Like we need to keep pumping money into this. So we were spending maybe around the time, maybe $15,000 a month on these social media ads. And I'm like looking on the back end, pulling some reports for them one night. It was late. I had a glass of wine with me and I was like, something is not adding up here. I was like, I was just tracking them for like, just tracking the last couple hours of sales. And I was like, it's saying we had more sales than we had people on the website. And I was like, this is odd. It was like midnight. And I was like, this is, this is strange. Things are not adding up. So I'm like scrambling, trying to figure out I'm on the team with Facebook's whatever support people. And what ended up happening was the way that the back end of the website was connected to the um, Facebook ads was misfiring information. And so it wasn't anything like malicious that I did. It wasn't anything malicious that the, that the um, website team had done, but someone had to raise their hand and say like, I'm going to take accountability for this. And, you know, we got to, we're going to have to have some hard conversations. And so I remember I didn't sleep for two days. I was sobbing. I was like trying, like rehearsing with my now husband, like what I was going to say, whatever. And I was like, I need to fly to Dallas. The, the client was in Dallas. We were in DC. And I was like, I need to talk to them in person because this is not a phone call conversation. It's not an email conversation. Like they're also like, you know, old guys that are in their seventies, like they're not really going to, they barely understand what Facebook is. Like they're not, they're not going to understand this. So I called the CEO the next day. And I was like, hey, Sam, I have a really long layover in Dallas. I'm going to Vegas for a friend's birthday. I've got like this weird, like five hour layover in Dallas. Can I come see you? He totally bought it. Was not true at all. But I like need to make an excuse of why I was going. And so he's like, oh my God, yeah, that'd be great. So I go to Dallas. 
I'm like literally shaking. I've got the sweetest, sweetest Uber driver who I'm like telling this whole story to. And we, I get there and I'm like, okay, like I'm ready. I'm going to say it. Like we're in this room together. And he's like, let's give you a tour of the whole bit, like the whole building, meet all these people. Let's do go to the pattern room, whatever. So it's like five or four hours into this like thing. And I'm just about to have a nervous breakdown. I finally am like, Sam, we need to have like our meeting because I've got to hop on a plane. It was supposed to just be him. And I was like, let me call on the rest of the C-suites. So it's now me and five other, you know, old men that I have to now explain this to. And I immediately just start sobbing. And he was like, what, what is going on? I explained to them the whole situation and they just, they, he hugged me. He was like, I am one. So he's like, you didn't fly down here because you're going to Vegas. I'm like, well, I actually am going to Vegas, but I flew down here so I could tell you this in person. And I said, you know, I promise we'll make it right. Like whatever you guys think it, I'll work for you for free for two years. Like I was just spewing out things. And he was like, there's nothing we need to fix right now. It sounds like you have it under control. Let's go get dinner. And I was like, okay. So we went and got dinner with him and his wife. And he told his wife about how I wasn't down there because I was, had this long layover and how I came so I could tell them this in person, blah, blah, blah. And at the very end of the dinner, he goes, um, are you looking for a full-time job. He's like, we really could use somebody like you in our company. And I was like, I just made this massive, massive mistake and you were offering me a job. He's like, you have to relocate to Dallas. And I was like, I don't have that in me, but if you'll keep me as a contractor, I would love to, to stay on board with the team. But it was one of those things where sometimes like tell people all the time, like if you just feel that like ugh, feeling in your gut, don't send the email, don't text, like pick up the phone or show up in person because it speaks so much more of your character and, you know, being a very emotional female. Like I've talked to so many people before I went, they're like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And I'm like, it just shows that like, I was so emotionally invested in this company and showed that I was so emotionally invested in my work and how disappointed I was in myself. Like let the emotions flow and just show up. And people, most people, like it was literally the best case scenario beyond the best case scenario. And it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm really proud of myself. Like it was the, one of the hardest conversations I've ever had to have in my entire life. And I left with a job offer. So <laughs> I don't think it was, didn't turn out that bad. Um, no, didn't turn out that bad at all, but I absolutely love, I, I remember that story as you kept going on. I'm like, this is so good in so many, so many ways. And there's a few things that I want to pull out there and, and just talk about a little bit more. One is like a leadership quality. Leadership quality is even taking responsibility, even when it's not yours. And yeah. while, especially with clients or just, I feel like social media or depending upon the circles you're in or whatever, raising your hand and taking responsibility for a screw up, regardless of whether it's yours or not, takes like extreme courage and bravery. And it separates though, it truly separates leaders when that happens, you know, on a construction site. It's so funny. Chris and I joke all the time because everybody is pointing the finger. Everyone's like, oh, well, it's their fault. Oh, well, it's their, like, no one just wants to take it. And, and us as general, Chris is like, it's us. Like at the end of the day, we're general. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It is us. Here's what we're going to do to fix it and move on, you know, right. and it's, it's also freeing, you know, it totally is. it's so freeing to be able to do that. And that's like a skill that when we had the restaurant and I had team of 24 that I would try, like no one's in, it's over with, it's over with and it's done. Whatever happened, it's done. We can't like go back and erase time, but just like, what did we learn? Great. Let's move yeah. forward. You know? Move and forward. I think it's such a great leadership quality and I'm sure you probably saw that obviously growing up and just with the circles that you're around. And so hearing that, like I have these conversations with my kids all the time. It's like, listen, you're not in trouble, but like, let's just, what happened? Who's going to own it? And let's move on. And I think it's let's just so on. important to do as a leader, we're raising leaders. So it's like, as we're, you know, leaders in even our smallest friendships, you know, right. I think it's, I think it's so powerful. So I love that you did that. And the other thing is emotion. And I, I'm using this word, uh, 
it's, I've talked about this on other shows because it's like, oh, be authentic. And you hear the word yes. authentic. I almost gag when I hear Me someone <laughs> on social media talk about being authentic. Authentic. Yes. Authentic. And it's like, I feel like the the idea of authenticity is even like picturesque at this poem at this moment. Like, here's what it looks like to be authentic, not what right. you think it is. And it took a, like I said, a crazy amount of bravery and courage to go in there, but you were just you. And yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway is like, no matter what situation you're in, good or bad, be you. And that will continue to attract the right people and the wrong people like, or, and, and push away the, the people that aren't meant for you. And that's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, um, I remember going right before going into that. It was actually right before I got on the plane from DC to fly to Dallas. I was on the phone with my mom and she was like, I was telling this story to one of my girlfriends who's a lawyer. And, you know, you always picture lawyers being like stone cold and like, she's a female lawyer. So she's like, sometimes you have to feel like you're just like, you have this wall up, whatever. And she's like, my mom goes, she told you to cry. She's like, if you feel like you need to cry, you should cry. And she said that my mom's friend, who is a lawyer, she said, um, that one of her most successful trials she's ever, or cases she's ever been on is one where she actually cried when she was like in the courtroom, like testifying for our client, because it just showed the emotion. And she's like, you don't see lawyers doing that. Like lawyer handbook 101 says, don't cry in front of your client. Like, and she's like, and I did it. And it was one of the most successful cases I've ever been a part of because I, you're right. I was myself and I was showing my raw emotion and like, sometimes like getting the point across of like how deeply something matters to you or how deeply you feel about something. Like if, if, if it's crying to get that point across and that's what like, just like is the emotion that is, you know, bubbling up inside of you, like let it show because sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. I'm a huge crier, but um, I, there's really like no better way you can get, you know, your point across than just being authentic to how you feel and who you are. Yeah. And just like, if it's like, uh, and it, and it can be an emotion or it can be even words, right? For sure. You know, like saying, saying how you feel, whether you express that physically, but it's like, I feel like straight up crap right now. Here's what happened. You know, it's, and that's where I feel like, I know in corporate, I always joke, like I had a filter on all the time because that was not really welcomed. And it wasn't necessarily the crying. It was just saying things how they were rather than patting everybody on the back, you know? And it was like, I cared so much that I always got in trouble because my filter would break. And I'd just say really what was on my mind, but it was on everybody's mind. And it's like, it got to a point though, where now I started from all the executive team getting invited in to review marketing initiatives, to review certain stuff. Cause they knew I, I finally let my filter go because it right. was like, they, I would give them the real deal on whether it was great or here's suggestions, you know? And sure. I think that continues to show it didn't happen overnight. It took time in a corporate, you know, situation where they understood where my heart was based upon what I was sharing with my words. So I think that there are multiple ways to show how invested you are in whatever it is that you're doing. So I really love that. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit because I didn't realize it was a two week turnaround that you were like, okay, I'm, I'm totally, um, you know, multi-passionate and I'm going to switch gears. So what was like the deciding point for you to switch? Cause this conversation has come up a lot. I actually had someone reach out to me. I just had lunch yesterday talking about pivots and careers and doing different things. And there can be shame. And it's like, how could you do that? You're, you just built this amazing business in DC. You have 32 clients, you're kicking butt. And now two weeks later, you're doing something else. So like, tell us a little bit about that kind of shift for you. Yeah, I think it all stemmed from, so I was working with this um, company that, um, I was like a subcontractor through, I started working with them when I was in DC and then it moved, when I moved to Arizona, I was still working with them and the owner was just mean. I didn't like the way he ran business. I didn't like being associated with, you know, being underneath him. And at the time we were building our house, that's when I were building our house. We were living with my parents and I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm done. Like I cannot be treated like this. I can, I literally like feel embarrassed putting my name next to yours because of the way that you treat people and the way that you treat, like, I just, I need to separate myself from you. 
And so that was like one of those moments where I was like, okay, I've got a lot of extra free time now. Like, what are we, what are we going to do with this? So I think that is kind of what snowballed the whole thing. And honestly, I was, I had this idea to do this jewelry brand for a while and I was, he was the one person that was holding me back. I was terrified to tell him because also I had this like limiting mindset that like, I can't live without the income that he is providing me. And I was terrified to tell him because I thought I was going to lose my, he's like, cool, you're doing this now. So you're not going to work for us anymore. And so once I finally got to that breaking point of like, it's not about the money, it's about my sanity. Like I cannot work for you anymore. I was like, I don't have any reason not to do this. And so um, that is really what kind of snowballed the entire thing. And um, I had I had a ton of, it's, again, it was something that I had thought about doing for a really long time. And so I had a ton of chain. I had everything that I needed to like make this thing happen. I had pieces that I wore that I knew I wanted to sell. Um, and so by time I was done with him, yeah, it was literally two weeks where I told Drew, I was like, I want to do this thing. And we've got three weeks before we are going on this vacation. So I want to have the launch party in two weeks. And he was like, oh, okay, let's, let's do this. And so I put together a 42 piece collection and, you know, made the name and spent many, many nights, uh, staying up and building a website. But also I feel like I could do those things on hyperdrive because I was doing them for clients anyway. So I had a lot of the tools and the knowledge in my tool belt and already had a pretty good audience built on my own social where like things just worked the way that they were supposed to. And I called every friend that was a photographer and had like three photo shoots in one week to try to get all this product up. And the first rendition of it was not the most beautiful, but it was scrappy. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, imperfection is going to stop you from doing everything. And I knew like, I'm going to say it, I'm going to put it out there because then there's no other option. And even our launch party, I'm like, that was kind of scrappy and a little janky, but like we did the best that we could. And I'm still so proud of it. And it was, um, it was one of those things that I just, I, again, I had been sitting on it for so long and it was like a now or never kind of approach. And, um, you know, there we've have fixed and changed and grown a lot since the, you know, two years ago when we started it, but I knew in order to get it off the ground, I needed to give myself a short runway or else I was going to second guess everything I was doing and maybe not even launch it. So yeah, two weeks. I love that. I love that. And it, it reminded me of this thing that our wedding planner um, said to us, and I've taken this with, and we're about ready to celebrate 19 years married. But the day yeah. of, she's like, listen, and this is at a prominent, this was at the four seasons. And she was like, listen, she's like, I know that we have everything planned. Everything is good. She goes, if it doesn't go according to plan, realize you are the only one that knows. Yes. Yep. My one. wedding planner told me the exact same thing. And, and I was like, best advice. the best advice for life. Like not life, just literally the day life. Yep. And it was like, right life. then I just kind of like, it was like, I shed these, like all this weight off my shoulders. Cause you're like, totally. oh my gosh, there's this expectation. And here's the wedding. We're at this location and we have all these people. I didn't even know half of them because my dad invited, like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, <laughs> yes. oh my God. Like I had this expectation to show up. And then I was like, F it. Let's go have some fun. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I just think that is so powerful. And, and you knew a weakness of yours. I love that, that you were like, I needed the two week runway or else I was going to like perfectionism was going to, you know, stop you from doing it. So you took action on yourself and I love, and I know it's like, again, cliche, but that like imperfect action. I think that's one thing that it's a skill. It is a skill taking that imperfect action, but you've, I believe strengthened that based on everything that you shared today, just the bravery and courage it's in the good times, in the bad times, it's just going for it, realizing what's the worst that could happen. What's the best that can happen. And no one knows whether it's perfect or imperfect, but you. That's it. That's totally it. Yeah. I bet you asked, if you asked most people that were there at the launch party, they probably like, we, what happened? Like, yeah, what's great. Who, then I was like, okay, half of our necks were like, like this and our jewelry <laughs> wasn't laying right. And the backdrop kept falling. But again, it's like things like just like make fun memories and like, you just can't be embarrassed by it. You're like, all of you guys are my friends. We're family where you're here to like support whatever. And it's, you have like, 
I would much rather start ugly and start then again, be like, who knows, who knows if I would have even launched Stratton right now, if I, you know, didn't give myself that runway and was still twiddling my fingers, trying to make something so, so picture perfect. I love that. No, it's so true. It's so true in so many different areas of life. I mean, even with like my daughter and I like showing horses and doing all of that, I tell her all the time, I'm like, the judge has no idea what you're feeling. So just go out there, show your horse. If you let them know, if you tell the judge based upon what you do that your horse is misbehaving, well, now you like you aren't showing, you aren't just showing up. And so I just love that. And I think it's something that we can strengthen again and again over time. Totally. So totally agree. Okay. What one thing I also want to just kind of call out here is the fact that so you went to ASU for metal metalworking, is that right? Metalworking, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So again, yet again, just like I love the fact that, you know, we think and we make these decisions at a certain point in our life when we're very young, like what, you know, degree are you going to get? And it's like, whatever. Like I was just like, just, I just want to graduate, period. Like, let me just get the piece of paper and just say I did it. And, um, I love that you didn't go that way at all. Like you still enjoyed it for fun, but you didn't use it. Yet now here we are, you just celebrated two years with Rad and Ray being launched and you're using your degree. Like, how is that for you when you really like think about it coming back to, to obviously your love, but like you're using your degree, all these different feelings I imagine have to be coming up. Yeah. And it's one of those wild things where it's like, literally I, I, the reason why I got the degree I went in as, I went in as thinking I was going to go into art education. I'm dyslexic. I'm terrible with dates. So like memorizing when like the, what was happening in the Victorian area and all this, I was like, I can't do this. I was like, and I don't think I have the patience to do it, but we had to, we were forced to take a 3d art class. One of our like prereqs in freshman year. And I was like, I hate the way ceramics feels on my hands. The idea of being surrounded by sawdust and like a woodworking situation is not for me. Let's try this metals thing. And I fell, I really fell in love with my professor. She was, she is just such a badass and she's so cool. And I really fell in love with the craft. I loved the tactile making things with my hands. I loved making art that I could wear um, and the confidence it gave me and a multitude of things. And so I remember we signed the contract to open this clothing store summer, the summer before my sophomore year of college. And I kind of had to decide like, do you want to do art education? Do you want to do art history? Do you want to pursue this metal? Whatever it is. And so it's like, I'm going to do this metals thing. One, because it was kind of a necessity. Like we didn't have any homework outside of class because you needed to be there with your torch and with your whole setup in order to actually work. We got out of school a week earlier than everybody. And we started a week later because there was no like syllabus week and we didn't have finals. And so really it just like made the perfect sense for me. Like I could go to school two days a week, not have homework and get out early and get out, get, get, get out early and start late. And so it's like, cool, I'm going to get a fine art, a fine arts degree with a focus in metalworking. And my parents were like, whatever, like sounds good. But the, the jewelry aspect of it was my favorite. We obviously did like large scale casting and we had to build like kinetic sculptures that were definitely more like art related, but the specialty that I found within that was stone setting and chain making. And I learned so much that I thought was just going to be kind of useless knowledge until I was like ready to design my engagement ring. But now I feel like working with manufacturers and understanding plating processes and melting temperatures and how certain stones are set and like the hardness scale of, you know, what types of stones we want to use so that our products can be durable and, you know, how gold wears on brass versus stainless steel or, you know, um, sterling silver, all of that stuff that I would have had to have a crash course in before starting the jewelry line that I didn't need to because I learned it all in school. So I was like, I'm finally using my degree, this degree that we all thought was useless. I'm finally using. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I just, it just goes to prove something that I always just love bringing up in conversation is like all of your past experiences will show their use at some point in your life. You don't need to know when, but it's like, you, I, I don't know that what you've accomplished in two years with Red and Ray, I don't know that you could have done that. You had the busy, the business savvy and 
and knowledge to be able to do it. But because you have such like knowledge about metalworking and everything you just mentioned, like you were leaps and bounds ahead of probably most other jewelry entrepreneurs, you know? Totally. Yeah. I love that. Totally. I love that. Okay. It's funny. Life works in funny ways. It does. It does. You just have to keep going forward. Um, now you had mentioned, cause you, I love that you have the experience of service and product. You, you Mm -hmm. have both. What do you like better? What, what, where, like, where are you finding like just a a great groove? Which one? I think product, I think it's so, it's a lot more rewarding. Um, and I find it, um, it's a different challenge for me. I've obviously like worked on like the marketing side of a lot of product-based businesses. Um, but yeah, I would think, I think product, I think having something and like marketing something that is truly mine and, you know, being in control of the creative direction and the brand and also the confidence that like seeing women wear and men wear our jewelry and the confidence it brings and like the polishing off an outfit and hearing stories, people wearing it on their wedding day or wearing it when they got engaged and like these stories and the um, community that I think a product-based business brings, I'm finding just so wildly rewarding. So yeah, that's where my heart is. I love it. I love it. I was always, I was always curious because I was like, you've been successful in both areas, you know? And I, it's funny because originally I thought like service because it was you, right? Like you controlled the service, you controlled like what you were doing. And I am actually really pleasantly surprised with the response of the product. And I think it is a lot of those stories. Obviously I'm a huge believer, um, in red and ray. (laughs) I love everything about it. Um, So that's very interesting. Now, I want to ask you this as we kind of close out here is what, you know, we, we talked a lot about like bravery and courage, you being put in situations where you could fail or you could succeed, you know, all of these different things. It's, it's more than just the business skills, right? Being able to read spreadsheets or financials or projections or all of that. What are some of the skills that you think have best lent themselves to your success, regardless of what you were doing. So starting back from ASU all the way to right now. Yeah. I would say the biggest thing I will tell people when going into business is, um, your personality sells everything and treating people. I tell people all the time when we were training our new employee yesterday, I was like, you treat everybody who walks in here, everybody you interact with, like they are your best friend. And if you go in with that heart and that mindset, like it makes dealing with any situation, whether it's a customer service issue or a tough email, you have to respond to whatever it may be having that relationship with those people. Um, and you know, keeping that in the forefront of your mind, I think will just change the dynamic of the way that you run business. Um, so I think that to start off with, I also think, um, getting in mind spaces where you can just daydream. I think that when you're so busy in the day-to-day is skill set that a lot of us don't flex is like taking time to daydream and to, um, be quiet with your thoughts and journal and do things that feel creative. Even if you are in like a financial industry or something that seems not, not necessarily a quote unquote creative industry. I think that you can learn a lot about yourself and learn about a lot about your business and, um, grow leaps and bounds when you just have time to be quiet with your thoughts. Um, and then the last thing I would say is community, like not being afraid to put yourself out there, I think is a skill set that, um, I had learned from a really young age, but really had to super flex when we moved to DC, um, and showing up to events, showing up for friends, um, being the first one to raise your hand to like for volunteer opportunities or whatever it may be, because at the end of the day, like the community that you surround yourself with is going to take you farther than you could ever go alone. So I really love that. It's so true. It's so true. And it's, it's, um, I mean, if you just reflect back everyone tuning in right now on what Taylor just shared over the last 45 ish minutes, 
everything that she just said right there, she, you know, shared specific examples throughout. So sometimes we not might not have like the strength to do it, right? To step into the room, lean on someone else's strength. You don't have to have your own right now, but you can lean on someone else that has done it before and just be like, well, if they did it, why can't I? Like, sure. why can't I? And I mean, it's so funny. Every time you get comfortable in a room, right? Like I'm super comfortable in the room where we met and now I'm going into this new room. And every time I go in, I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. Okay. Totally, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't know anybody again. Let's go. And it's like, you go in and I'm like, I've been here before. I'm yeah. going to meet some amazing people. I, I'm super excited to find out who that is. But like, I'm really uncomfortable. It's not being like, oh no, I'm, everything's great. And you walk in and it's perfect. It's like acknowledging where you are, but it's like, I've been here. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. That's it. That's I it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So we are absolutely going to tag all of your social and, you know, have a link for Red and Ray because the, the jewelry is phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. And you can like the handwritten notes that like there's little things that Taylor does that if you are, if you have a product in or service business, I encourage you to just experience the service that comes through Rad and Ray. And then you can lean on that and use it for your business too. So Taylor, I just want to, you know, obviously thank you for coming on, but really more thank you for like just sharing your story and I know that you connect with a lot of different business owners, men and women, um, really helping them along the way. And I know that you're growing and stretching right now. And I can't wait to maybe like in a year, have a conversation to see where you are after your third anniversary. Oh my gosh. Won't that be so exciting? Shelly, thank you so much for having me. I'm so inspired by you and so so thankful for the opportunity. So thank you. Absolutely. All right. Well, everyone, if you love this first off, you know, order some Rad and Ray, but second <laughs> off, share this, um, out on your community. We just talked about it in the power of, of sharing that and connecting in community and tag us in it. We would love to give you, you know, some love, some shout out coming back. And I can't wait for you guys to tune in. There's some very exciting things coming here on the show. So make sure you are subscribed. And if you like watching videos, you can see Taylor and I, you can see the necklaces she is wearing. It is beautiful. Oh yeah. You can see it all um, on YouTube too. So make sure you jump over there to it's Shelly Bryan and you can sub subscribe there too. Thanks again. <laughs>